Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. Uh, well, if you're in here, I invite you to open your Bibles to Ruth chapter 3 or just find it there in your bulletin. And this morning, as we're continuing our time in Ruth, um, before we, we read it, it's important to just remember a couple things by way of context. Uh, we need to remember that Ruth is an ancient text uh, that was written in the context of the ancient Near East, which means as Americans in 2021, it can be very easy for us to miss some things or to misunderstand some things. And so just a, a few of these things by way of, again, context to kind of hold in our brains as we read this passage. Um, first thing to remember is that this, this passage, this chapter, is filled with Hebrew euphemisms um, that are sexually charged. And don't, don't worry, I'm not going to like go into all the details, um, but um, threshing floor is, is key. Um, that's a place where, you know, some midnight rendezvous tended to happen in the ancient Near East. Uh, feet is a euphemism in various settings. Uncovering is a euphemism. Uh, and so, again, just putting that out there so that you can read, there's some chargedness in this, what we're about to read, some kind of PG-13 language. And, and for Southerners like me, uh, it, it can make us, me, a little nervous and cause, maybe cause us to over-spiritualize this. But it's important to remember, at least maybe for me, that the uncomfortableness that I feel and the church's historical tendency to, to be a bit prudish about sex. Uh, you know, like, you know, there was this time where the church just allegorized the entire Song of Solomon. Um, in calling the physical bad and the spiritual good, like that, that whole thing does not come from the Bible. Um, that comes from uh, what is called Greek Neoplatonistic thought. And in, in fact, much of it comes from our, the church father, Augustine, who, if you know anything about his life, he was converted from a life of debauched sin. And in a response to that, as, as many of us fallen humans do, we have a tendency to kind of swing in the other extreme, right? And so instead of kind of coming back central where the Hebrew Bible and the Bible teaches, he kind of went to the other side saying, spirit good, body bad, okay? And so a lot of that comes from that, but the Bible teaches and the Hebrews believe that God created a good creation, uh, which means that there are good things that God has created for his people to be, to enjoy and, and within good parameters. And one of those things is physical intimacy in, in marriage. And so the Bible doesn't shy away from that. No spin on that. It just shoots you straight. Okay, so we hang on to that, the, you know, this, this euphemistic, euphemistic language. And then second, at the same time, it's good to know the difference between descriptive texts of Scripture and prescriptive texts of Scripture, or in other words, texts that are merely describing what happened. Hey, we're just recording the facts. This is what happened. And texts that are saying, hey, this is the way God has called us to live. And there's a difference in those. Uh, just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean that it's good, right? Um, for example, David and Solomon had multiple wives, um, that doesn't mean that the Bible promotes like, hey, let's love sister wives, you know, let's all have lots of big, huge, awesome, happy families. No, it, like, it just recorded what happened. Uh, they had multiple wives. 
Uh, no spin. They're not sugarcoating it. And we also see that those multiple wives cause a lot of trouble. Okay, and so I, I say this because in our passage this morning, Naomi, Naomi comes up with this plan for Ruth to get her a husband. And, and though maybe her intentions were out of love, I think they were, her plan was not remotely good, but the writer is merely describing what happened. Again, not putting any spin on this. And so this is not a, look, if it's good enough for Naomi, she's in the Bible, right? If it's good enough for Naomi, then it's good enough for me. <laughs> Uh, contrary to a quick scroll through Instagram, like this is not how to get a man, okay, what we're about to read. But we'll get to that in a bit. Um, third thing of context, you know, there's these words that we use around the church that sometimes we can use them so much that we forget what they mean. Um, words like grace and love and bless you. And uh, one of those words is the word redemption or redeemed. And, and we can say things like, I've been redeemed by Jesus. I've been redeemed by the blood. But to be redeemed isn't to be covered or washed in blood. We've got to remember that in the, in the Bible, to be redeemed is to be bought. It's, it's a, a, a transaction, a purchase, to be bought. It is for your debts to be paid so that you are no longer in bondage, you are no longer in slavery, and you now belong to your Redeemer. And so it, it means a new identity. And so we're going to get to that this morning and, and next week. And then fourth, final thing for context before we read, just again to keep our eyes on the prize, and this is one of the beautiful things about Ruth, it's because you read Ruth and it's really earthy. I mean, they're just doing life. But we see that God, though God is hardly mentioned in Ruth, nor is there any miraculous events, God is still there working through ordinary means and ordinary people to accomplish his good plan. And so in many ways, it mirrors our lives because in light of the pain, in light of the suffering, it is easy, I know for me, maybe for many of you, to cry out and say, God, where are you? Like, have you ever had, like, God, if you would just kind of just show up and just, Jesus, be here and just tell me what I need to do, then I would know that things are going to be okay. But as Paul Miller reminds us, if God was always doing that, God was just showing up, like literally showing up, there would be very little room for relationship. Because he said the full vision of God would suck the air out of the building and undo us. And so by grace, God uses what we call ordinary means of grace to woo us to himself and to convict us of sin and to rescue us and guide us in his goodwill. And so that's another important thing to remember. Um, so China is, is technically today considered an atheistic country. Uh, but the numbers are showing that by the year 2030, China will have more Christians than the United States. And uh, well, a lot of that is largely due to God calling this man named Hudson Taylor uh, to go and be a pioneer missionary in China, and he found the China Inland Mission. And near the end of his life, um, he's not, not doing well at all, near the end of his life, while the missionaries in China were experiencing extreme suffering and persecution, things did not look good. Hudson Taylor said, I cannot read, I cannot think, I can't even pray, but I can trust. And we're finding that, that that's the theme in Ruth, in the pain, in the misery. There will be times where, where life happens and just pulls you out from under your, your, your feet. You're in free fall, and you're like, I can't, I can't read the Bible, I can't think, I can't pray. But we're finding here that the recurring call in Ruth 
is a call to trust, that you can trust God, uh, to trust Him. So with all that as, as kind of context, let's, let's go to Ruth, Ruth chapter 3. This is God's Word. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is Boaz our relative, not our relative, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet, and lie down, and he'll tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. And at midnight, the man was startled and turned over. And behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first and that you have not gone after young men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning, if, you will, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he will not, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So Ruth lay at his feet until the morning, but arose, around, arose before anyone could see or could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and, and hold it out. And she held it out and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. And then she went into the city and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. And she replied, This is Naomi, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. It's God's word. Let's pray. Father, as we come to your word, we ask that you would just come and, and teach us uh, from your ancient word uh, to see uh, what's going on with Ruth and Boaz and Naomi and, and how your hand is guiding this whole direction and what we can learn today. Uh, Holy Spirit, come. We need you. Amen. Uh, so in our passage, on the threshing floor, we see two things. Uh, one, we see a desperate plea and second, a costly redemption. Desperate plea, costly redemption. First, a desperate plea. So at this point in the story, it's been about six to eight weeks since Ruth and Boaz have met, and Naomi thinks it's time to strike. And so if you, if you remember from part one in our, our series, we said that Naomi was a lot like us. She's a, a bundle of paradoxes. You know, remember how we talked about how believers, we can say we believe all these things, and yet in the moment of pain, we can get pragmatic pretty quick. That, that Naomi is this, at the same time, a saint and a sinner. And we see that here on full display. 
So in, in the ancient Near East, uh, all marriages were uh, arranged by parents. And, and so she's not being a meddling busybody. She's not like, you think of like a Mrs. Bennett from Pride and Prejudice, that just, she just wants to get her daughters married. No, it, it, like, it's her role to, to, quote, find rest, to find a husband uh, for Ruth. And, and she seems to be doing so out of selfless love. This is kind of the good side of Naomi. You know, she's, she's really... I, you could even say this is a Hesed love. She's doing something good for uh, Ruth. But on the other hand, her plan to do so is, is something straight out of a country song, right? Um, I mean, like literally, it, it's, it, tell me if I'm wrong on this, but it, it's hard to read Naomi's advice to Ruth without hearing Reba, right? Reba saying, just be nice to the gentleman fancy. They'll be nice to you, right? I mean, that is the song, right? getting dressed, putting the perfume on, and, you know, like, we need this. We need this fancy. Um, so here was her plan. Boaz was at the threshing floor, winnowing barley, and, and Naomi knew that he was going to be there all day and then into the night to celebrate the harvest with food and drink, and, and then they would spend the night there because if you remember, the context of this is during the period of the judges, and that was a wild time. Um, imagine uh, farmers... Imagine having to sleep at your grain bins because if you didn't, people would come and steal your crop. Um, I mean, they're, they're sleeping there in the, in the grain area because people are going to steal their grain. So they harvest, they winnow, they party, they stay there. This is the whole, whole thing. So she knows where Boaz is going to be. So she said, Ruth, this is what I want you to do. Bathe yourself, put on perfume, and your best dress. Go to the threshing floor, wait until Boaz has finished eating and drinking and his, quote, heart is merry. Uh, watch where he lies down. Then, then after he's good and settled, go up to him where he's sleeping, uncover his legs, and he'll tell you what to do next. We're going to get you a man tonight. Um, and like, we don't know why Naomi did this. You know, Moabite women certainly had the reputation of being seductive. So it's possible that Naomi was expecting Ruth to kind of just fit into her stereotype. It's more like Ruth as a Moabite, you look, go do your thing, girl. Go get him. But as we've seen, though Ruth was ethnically a Moabite, uh, culturally, morally, and, and more importantly, spiritually, Ruth was being changed. That was no longer her identity because Hesed love changes things. You know, it's this variable that you just can't account for of how the Spirit of God changes people. So notice the immense risk that Ruth took, at least in the eyes of the world. So Ruth went, she did everything that Naomi said. She washed, perfumed, dressed, wait till he lays down, uncover his feet, check, 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 check. But then Ruth did something different. And the world would call her nuts. Because for her, and unfortunately for most of our world today, the path of least resistance for many women, especially women in dire straits, is to say, look, he's a red-blooded man. Just seduce him. Just seduce him into marriage. Just seduce him into giving you some stuff. But Ruth's character shined through. Instead of waiting for Boaz to, quote, tell her what to do, in desperation, <laughs> Ruth risked it for the biscuit. I mean, she just blurted out her intentions. Don't get, any, don't get the, the, wrong, the wrong idea, Boaz. She said, verse 9, she said, spread your wings or your garment over your servant, for you are a redeemer. All right, so two quick things, uh, and that means two things. And one is we saw last week that, you know, to cover your wings is, is to cover wings is to be protected. But, but two, 
and, and Hebrew people were all about some symbolism and metaphor. To them, a man covering a woman with, with part of his robe or garment was the equivalent of our engagement ring today, uh, which meant that this was a promise of marriage. In, in other words, like Ruth, okay, and this is the Proverbs 31 woman who's like doing all these things, right? Ruth is bucking all the cultural norms because in desperate need, she, a poor Moabite woman, pro- proposed essentially to a wealthy Israelite man. And it was her need of redemption that brought her to the threshing floor. But it was also there that she was met with redeeming love. It's there. It is right. I mean, it's, it's in the bottom that we find grace. Which brings us to Boaz and our second point, a, a costly redemption. Like I, I was asking somebody this week, like, I'm not sure where that line exists. But if you, as you read the Bible, you see that there's, apparently there's a difference between uh, your heart being merry and being drunk, okay? And I guess we can figure out where that line is. But a lot of times this is, this is read or interpreted as, look, Boaz is hammered. He's laid up by some grain. Ruth goes and just is like, she's going to seduce him. She's going to trick him. But if you read this, notice Boaz was awakened from deep sleep to have a very lucid, very logical conversation. I mean, his mind is very much with it. And what he does say here, it doesn't sound very romantic. You know, we wish for this like beautiful like notebook type moment. I will never leave you. I'll never forget you. But notice what what he does. And though it's not very romantic, I would argue that it's still like more, it's more beautiful than than romance. Um, So in the Old Testament, Leviticus 25 lays out this thing that if if one of your family members gets to where they owe a debt that they can't pay, then one of your close relatives can, can step in and they can pay off your debt. Um, and that's called a kinsman redeemer. But Boaz also knew that there was another relative closer than he, that if anybody was required to do the redeeming, it was this other guy. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't him. And, and so, in, in other words, Boaz didn't redeem Ruth because he needed to redeem Ruth. Like, Boaz was not morally bound to do this. He didn't need her. And just like God doesn't need us, God is not morally bound to redeem us or save us. He's not. God is God. He can do what he wants. Um, Brian Habig tells a, a story of, you know, those cave tours in Kentucky, right? Um, this cave tour where they get you down in the cave and it's all, that it's just dark. They turn out all the lights and over the loudspeakers, they say, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You know, and God said, let there be light. And phew, there was light. You know, it's this whole presentation that Christian tourism does. And, and then this loudspeaker says at some point, it, but God was lonely, so he made man. And you, you hear that, you're like, eh, wrong, right? Uh, God didn't and doesn't need us. To have a need is to have a deficiency, Right? And God has no lack. God has perfect connection and community within the Trinity. And so what we're saying, I want you to see is it's Boaz didn't need to redeem her. No, no, Boaz chose to redeem her against everything that was going on. He said, though it's not technically my job, if the other guy doesn't do it, I'm your guy. And this is dangerous because Disney and Nicholas Sparks and whoever else, are, are doing their best to make us think that real love, teenagers, if you want to know that you're in love, like real love arises from need. Like you complete me. 
Like, it, I need you to need me. It's this highly emotional need, but that's really enmeshment. That's a, a false ordering. No, God, we see here that Hesed love, that real love doesn't arise from need. No, it's way better than that. God actually actively chooses to redeem his people. And so, and then we have to know that redemption isn't cheap. You know, not only is, uh, I mean, it, Boaz isn't just required to, you know, throw some money at the problem, give, give Ruth some money, give Naomi some money, pay their debt. But redemption was a package deal. Uh, and y'all, y'all probably heard, there's some really crazy package deals out there, right? It's the thing where, like, you buy the thing that you want, and they'll, like, throw in, like, a free dog or something, you know. Like, remember when, uh, at the beginning of COVID last year, out in Louisville, they were trying to drum up people to get tested. Like, if you would go and get tested in Louisville, they would, like, give you chicken or something. <laughs> they would give you, like, a free turkey or something. Um, redemption is a package deal, which meant... Um, Boaz got, she got, he got Ruth in the package. This meant the end of Ruth's, I mean, the end of, of Boaz's bachelorhood. This meant a complete change in Boaz's family. I mean, it was tremendously costly to Boaz. And, and then back to our passage, after Boaz laid out the plan, verse 13, he invited Ruth to stay the night, which by the way, this invitation all the, all the sexually charged words are up in Naomi's advice. Down now with, with Ruth and Boaz, there are no sexual words. Um, but it's interesting that he protects, that we see that Hesed love protects, that he cares about her, that he doesn't want her to be seen. Like, women aren't supposed to be down here. Because remember, this is kind of the place where, quote, forbidden sex would take place on the threshing floor. And, and, and so uh, he got, you know, they woke up before anybody could see sent her off with a gift, protecting her reputation. And so he gave her this weird gift of six measures of barley. <laughs> and, um, and two things here. Uh, one, uh, so six, apparently six measures of barley is about 80 pounds. Um, so he loads her up and, and she walks all the way back home with 80 pounds on her back. As one scholar said, Ruth was clearly a woman of substance indeed. Um, so think... You've seen those CrossFit ladies, right? The CrossFit athletes, like, think, think, like, she's strong, okay? She's not uh, a, a petite um, little girl. Um, then two, uh, remember how much Hebrew people love symbolism and metaphor? Well, and y'all know seven was the number of completeness, the number of rest, like, you could, everything's fine with seven. You know, God rested on the seventh day. But by giving six measures, um, Boaz is trying to give this, this picture, this symbolism, that though the redemption has been promised, it hasn't quite yet happened. And so Ruth walked home a little incomplete, still looking forward to this redemption to come. And then when she got home and Naomi asked her this really interesting question, the ESV renders it, hey, how did, how did you fare, my daughter? You know, if we were here today, we would say, hey, how'd the date go? You know, you're saying when you've got single friends, like, hey, how'd it go? Um, but the Hebrew put it this way. Naomi asked when she came in, who are you? Who are you? And now obviously, like, there's only one other person living with her. She knows it's Ruth. But what she was asking is, are you still Ruth the Moabite? Or are you the future Mrs. Boaz? Who are, what is your identity now? And Ruth responded with this, uh, you know, kind of, sort of, but not yet type language. And then Naomi, I love this, concluded with verse 18. She said, wait, my daughter, wait 
until you learn how the matter turns out. For Boaz, he's not going to rest until this matter is settled today. You know, waiting is hard. <laughs> waiting is really hard. Um, you know, the philosopher uh, Blaise Pascal said, all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. Like, if any of y'all ever been to Walmart and, like, you've got, like, three things and the, there's, like, ten people in line, you're like, it's not even worth it. <laughs> I'm just going home. Um, so when I go for scans, I, I sit in one waiting room, and then I'm called to go back to another smaller waiting room, and then I'm called to one last waiting area before I'm then called into my examining room where I then wait on the doctor. And uh, it's a good time, you know, just a lot of waiting. But in Ruth 3... And this is huge. I hope we all see this. In Ruth 3, we see that in this life of faith, that as a believer, as you know, the life of following Christ, in this life of faith, there are times when we're called to not just sit there, but to do something. You know, Naomi and Ruth are very much seeking this redemption. We're called to do something. We're called to action. We're called to repent. And yet there are also times when we're called to not just do something, but to stand there to wait, to be still and wait upon the Lord. That Hebrew word for be still, it means to take your hands off, to take your hands off and say, look, this is out of my hands. You know, redemption is in the Lord's hands. We'll wait on him just like redemption was now in Boaz's hands. And he's busy working um, and he will not rest until he's done it. So trust him. And then, and then the, the scene closes. It's like, and scene. <laughs> like a Netflix show. It's like the chapter ends on this cliffhanger. Still waiting on this redemption. So as we close, I mean, so what? I, I obviously, I mean, there are tons of parallels between this and, and, and the gospel because this is the gospel way. But first, this is just a reminder that we all have a sin. Like we all have a debt that we cannot pay. We, we just can't do it. And so just like Ruth and just like Naomi, like we need redemption. Like we need someone who's going to take our debt on themselves and, and pay us, pay for us, uh, pay for our, our freedom. And we too find ourselves, as God makes us aware of our desperate need of redemption. Um, and, and this may, you know, when this happens in your life, you may look back and be like, this was the, the worst year of my life. You know, God just wrecked you. And yet it's there in that desperate need that we find ourselves on the threshing floor, seeking, seeking the one who can pay our debt. But it's there we find him, Christ. You know, he chose to redeem us. He doesn't need us. God does not need you. Like, he actually chooses to love you, which isn't that great. And oh, how costly it was. The most precious substance in the world is Jesus' blood shed for you. Okay. Then second, if you are redeemed by Jesus, then that means that just like Ruth, and this is particularly important in today's culture, just like Ruth, your primary identity isn't ethnic, nor cultural, nor gender, nor any of the other things that, that you know, is thrown around with identity politics. It's not even your sin. No, Redemption brings us into God's family. Your identity is child of God, period. And so, why do we pursue purity? 
You know, why do we try to, you know, why do we seek to, you know, save sex for marriage, for God's parameters there? Like, why do we guard our tongue? Why do we die to self and we love our spouse and we love our kids and we love our neighbors and our friends with a hesed love? Why do we do all that? Is it so that we can be good? So that everybody can think we're really nice, goody-tissue type people? No. Like, if that's why you're doing it, just stop. Um... No, the reason we do all that is in response to this. It's because we are not our own. You are not your own. But you belong body and soul to your Savior, Jesus. You are in his family. And out of that, we respond with hesed love and we are changed. And so I'll ask you the same question Naomi asked Ruth this morning. Who are you? I Really, who are you? How do you live your life? Um, what is your primary identity? Is it as one who is in Christ? Because that's what it is. Who are you? And then finally, there's the issue of rest. Oh, how we need rest. Well, Boaz wasn't the only one who didn't rest, did he? Was he? You know, when Jesus set about redeeming us, he too had no rest. In fact, you read about the Garden of Gethsemane. He was in so much agony, so wrecked, that, that his blood vessels burst causing him to sweat blood. Like he had no rest, and he was killed on the cross so that in him we could also, like we could really find rest in God today. Um, and so that one day we could enter his eternal rest. But in the meantime, this is where we land. Just like Naomi told Ruth, we wait, trusting the promise that he who began a good work in you We'll bring it to completion. You really can trust him. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, we continue uh, to keep coming to your word and being reminded to trust, 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 trust. Um, Father, show us this week that just because we don't see somebody raising the dead or walking on water or changing water into wine, Lord, that you are not dead, that you are alive and well working through ordinary means to woo your people to, to you. So Lord, may we see your providence in action. Uh, may we love it and trust it. Lord, thank you for Jesus. Uh, may he be our all in all. We ask this in Christ. Amen. Hi, Richard Owens here. I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.